0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and a very almost. Happy holiday season to you. We are planning and prepping for Thanksgiving feasts and holiday gatherings and all of the delicious eats in between. You've tuned in to the coolest culinary conversation on the radio and the delicious conversation starts right here and right now, whether you just love to cook or you're an aspiring culinary student, whether you're a food network junkie, or you make great reservations. Whether you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we will definitely be friends and you are bound to find something that you'll love on this show. I hope you'll visit chefjamie.com. All new and improved coming soon. Wait till you see it. It has forums and features and recipes and videos and more, but you can take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, on social, on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. And if you're looking for recipes for holiday party or for gifts of food or otherwise, do please check out chefjamie.com for holiday cheer. We have a full and exciting show coming up. So let me tell you what is on your plate. Great British Bake Off fans rejoice because Lottie Bedlow is here and she's awesome with this beautiful just extraordinary sense of humor and a loosey-goosey easiness about her. She is making baking better by telling you to bake imperfect. That's right. She's sharing her tips and tricks and encouraging us all to bake with reckless abandon. Her new book release, Baking Imperfect, is getting rave reviews and she's going to sit down and dish. Also, we're giving you a seasonal update on the best produce for Thanksgiving and more because our resident produce guru of Melissa's produce, Robert Schuler, will be here and you're going to want to know what to bake, which squash to roast and how to garnish it, right? The best of seasonal produce coming up. But first, it's time. It's time to start thinking about mashed potatoes again. Oh, yes, it is. This is a lesson in mashed potatoes so that you are the best cook you know, because fall braises and hearty winter fare and Thanksgiving, yes, they are all approaching. But how good are your mashed potatoes? Now, while mashed potatoes look deceptively simple, I believe that they are an art to master. And I wanted to give you the lowdown on glorious spuds. Here's how the cooking process goes for mashed potatoes. And by the way, this applies to any potato cooking for that matter. You start potatoes in cold water so that they come up to temperature with the water and they cook evenly. And I cook potatoes for mashed potatoes whole, because I feel that they don't absorb as much water and they retain their flavor better that way. And yes, they take longer to cook, but that's okay because I don't make mashed potatoes every week and I'm willing to pour some love into them to make them just phenomenal. And I like to season the potatoes. And I say that in quotes, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. Now, the dairy. It is very important, different than the cold water you start your potatoes in, that your dairy be warm before you add it to your mash. That's my best chef's tip. Whether you adopt my recipe or not, or you use your great-grandmother's, which I respect, please make sure that the dairy you choose to add to mashed potatoes goes in warm. The dairy must be warm to resist gummy mashed potatoes, and equally important, you always add the butter to the potatoes first. Why you ask? Because the water content in the milk or the half and half or the heavy cream or the combination thereof that you choose to use combines with the starch molecules of your potato and it tends to make the potatoes gluey. But when you add the butter first, it coats the starch of the potatoes and it definitely results in silkier mashed potatoes. And this is the time to use really good quality unsalted butter for the best flavor. Now, when it comes to texture on mashed potatoes, I like mine to be rich and perfectly smooth and creamy with plenty of butter and heavy cream somewhere between like a dish on its own and a sauce. I think that mashed potatoes should have the consistency of pudding because they firm up as they sit on your plate, right? So a food mill or also called a ricer is best for creating the ultimate texture. Now a potato masher and some serious elbow grease works too, as does a stand mixer on low speed. Although I have chef friends listening who just cringed, they might disagree, but please do not use your food processor because the potatoes are guaranteed to overmix and get gummy. And I peel the potatoes uh, because I believe that potatoes with the skin left on is rustic mashed potatoes or smashed potatoes for that matter. Now, you can make mashed potatoes in advance of serving them. Hooray. (laughs) If it's just an hour or so, you leave them in a glass mixing bowl covered with plastic wrap and you put the bowl over very gently simmering water. It's a water bath, right? If your mashed potatoes were made the day before Thanksgiving and they've been refrigerated, the best way to reheat them is to place them in a low oven covered for about 20 minutes or so. You might need to add a little more warm milk or cream to better the texture. But there is always the ultimate recipe. And these are my very best mashed potatoes. They are incredibly smooth and flavorful. Wolfgang Puck taught me you throw peeled garlic cloves into the water when the potatoes are cooking and then the cloves are pureed or riced with the potatoes themselves and this subtle garlic flavor permeates beautifully. Now you can substitute sour cream for creme fraiche if you prefer, but I really love that delectable richness and that slightly tart flavor that comes from using creme fraiche. So I take four large baking potatoes because I don't have a big family and I peel them and I leave them whole and I put them in with eight cloves of peeled garlic, whole cloves, and a teaspoon of salt in a large pot of water. And I boil them until they are soft when pierced with a knife, like a half an hour, maybe more, depending upon the size of your potatoes. You drain the whole thing. You keep the garlic cloves with the potatoes and you rice them until they are smooth. Now in a sauce pot, you combine half and half creme fraiche and fresh herbs and you bring it to a simmer. You add butter to the riced potatoes, mix well, and then you add that hot dairy mixture. And until it is smooth and creamy, you stir, you season with salt and pepper, generously, of course, and you have what might be the best, in fact, the very best mashed potatoes ever. Thyme, tarragon, oregano are Wolfgang Puck's signatures to mashed potatoes. And I am loyal and forever. (laughs) So I use the original mashed potato recipe that I was taught And you can too. Just email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. Oh, they are so good. A quick nod, if I may, for food news this week, because Jose Andres's portrait is currently going up on display at the National Portrait Gallery. And this is a big deal. Of course, through his charity, World Central Kitchen, he has fed the world. We know his talent as a restaurateur. He is just a really good man and he has graced this show and I've had the privilege of working with him. And needless to say, a portrait in the National Portrait Gallery is really extraordinary. It is to honor him as a philanthropist, uh, as a a chef, uh, as a, a person, a human Uh, a good human being, and I saw a sneak peek of it on the internet. It's beautiful. So, it will sit in the gallery uh, for the next year, and the showing begins November 10th. And so, if you are anywhere near, what a sight to see, no doubt. All right. With that said, get your baking tools ready. Pull out a baking pan, grab a spatula, Because Lottie Bedlow is here. Oh, yes. Great British Bake Off fans, your fave sits down to dish right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. Oh, we're going to satisfy all of your cravings. This is a sweet treat for sure. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you know and love the great British Bake Off, you know and love fan fave Lottie Bedloe. From season 11, of course, the self-taught through trial and error, beautiful baker that makes food that tastes so good for the people that she loves is now the author of Baking Imperfect. Her cookbook just released is getting rave reviews from Publishers Weekly and Epicurious.com. She is a delight to watch and to cook with, I will say. And a very inventive baker with a beautiful sense of humor and an emphasis on flavor over flawlessness, this great British Bake Off contestant has become all the rage and she's sharing her best tips and tricks, sweet and savory, for the holiday season. The book is entitled Baking Imperfect. She says, crush, whip, and spread it like nobody's watching. And so we're going to do just that with you, Lottie. I am so delighted to have you here. Welcome and congratulations. Yes,
2: of course.
1: Uh, Kudos to you. You know, I've, I've done a lot of research on you and I loved watching you, but I'll tell you the book is really a beautiful representation of who and what you are does it does it feel triumphant to you
2: it really it really does it was (laughs) a long process i don't think anyone gives you any warning i mean you would know you know that that writing a book is really quite 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 tricky (laughs) yes uh and i think that i had lots of ideas and i wanted it all to come together and the reason that it took me so long to get it out there was that i wanted it to be just right and i'm really proud of it i think i think i think we've done well
1: you've done really beautifully and it and it It screams you. One of the things I I love about how the culinary world and the internet and great bakers everywhere are highlighting you is that you are your true self, right? You are self-taught, but you are all about the imperfect. And if it doesn't work out right, make it into something else or try, try again, you say. And I think there's a, a wonderful looseness to that, that appeals to so many especially bakers.
2: Yeah, I hope so. I think that, you know, as a as an amateur baker and as someone who looks for inspiration online a lot on Instagram or, you know, on TV shows, it's very easy to be put off and to feel quite daunted by yes. the idea that there are, you know, these kind of levels of perfection out there. What you're going to turn out from your home kitchen is not what, you know, that's not what it's not going to look like the front of a French patisserie shop window. Do you know what I mean? That's what people (laughs) need to get get their head around, is that it's two different types of baking. And what I wanted to remind people with this book is just to enjoy the process. Baking is fun. Being on the show taught me how to fail. I mean, pretty spectacularly on a couple of the episodes, but Mm -hmm. how to fail and pick yourself back up and laugh at it. Laugh at yourself. And just, it's a messy process and one that should be, One that should be fun, I think. And that's just, I just, I'm just there to kind of give that reminder in the book.
1: Yes. And, and what a joyful finish it brings you when you choose the joy of baking, right? What is life like for you before we dig into recipes? What is life like for you now? I mean, um, you, you come from the theater world. Um, you've not been to America. In fact, until this trip, I want to hear about your experience in America. But, um, but do, you, do you see life differently? Have you embraced the, the fanship and all the love?
2: I've been so incredibly <laughs> lucky. And if you had told any one of my close, close friends or family members that I was going to put myself on a TV show they would have been like, that's not her, you know, get out. That's absolutely not something that Losty would do. And yet I did it because it was in COVID and I was working in theatre and there was just no no live theatre, so we had to do something. I applied for the show. I never thought I'd get on. I just did it to kill some time and to distract me from thinking about work and COVID. And mm. I did it. I got on the show and, and, and I've just been so lucky. The response was incredible. I thought... No one's going to go for this, you know, this little old me kind of messing up and and making a scene of things. And, you know, I've got hair all in my face and people would think, you know, I just thought, God, this is not this is not going to go down well. And and especially the Americans have been so lovely. My following on Instagram is a 50 50 split between the UK and the US. And I just knew that I had to come over here as soon as possible. Like I, I saved up my pennies and I got over here as soon as I could just to kind of talk about the book and meet meet everyone out here because they've all been so supportive and lovely
1: and good for you tell us what your first experience in america has been like
2: it has been incredible i've been here i think i've only been here a week i go home in a couple of weeks but i honestly i've seen feel like i've seen enough like so much (laughs) i've just seen so much so there was just one guy i saw a couple of days ago just going down the street was on broadway and he was on a skateboard dressed in a full suit of armor Oh. And I, I, you've got to stop at these things. I was like, is this a, I turned to my, to my manager and I said, is this a fever dream? Are we having, is this really happening? Am I really here? Am I jet lagged? What's R- going was on? Was it is Halloween? This, this, yeah, it must've been for Halloween, but it, it, it just, it was like, oh, it's just madness. I love it. I absolutely love it. Everyone's crazy. Everyone's very mm-hmm. kind of outspoken and loud and free. And yeah, it's like the best bits of London kind of times 10. Yes. Great.
1: Mul- multiplied for sure. Um, your family and your time coming up was in Cornwall, yes? and um, So
2: definitely on the coast, not in yeah. Cornwall, but um, yeah, so on the coast, yeah.
1: And, and you're the hit of the area now. Like you're changing the culinary landscape from where you came from.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they'd agree with you back home, <laughs> but I think there's definitely been more interest in... Um, certainly, like on my page, on my Instagram page, I think that the American audience really want me to talk more about traditional British recipes, yes. which I've really enjoyed doing. Puddings that we have a lot of this time of year going into kind of winter, um, they want to learn all about those kind of steam mm. puddings we have with custard. They want to learn about any old recipes that I've inherited from grandparents um, who lived in the northern part of England where it was all just carbs on carbs. Um, <laughs> I grew up on things like cheese pie, which is as it sounds, it's cheese on pastry, and mm. it's great. Um, so there's all, of, yeah, lots and lots of good responses to those kind of recipes. And, and a lot of those recipes made it into the book, because I just wanted to share those, certainly in the final chapter and Pass It On, please. That's all yes. about sharing those kind of family recipes.
1: Yes. And that leads me to every page I marked in Baking Imperfect that I can't wait to make. And maybe we should kick it off then. Tell us about malt bread. Because Granny yeah. Granny June used to deliver mm-hmm. malt bread to your house, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah. I love anything malt, Lottie. Anything. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's a classic. Malt bread is just so warming and you know as a, as a kid I remember thinking oh I don't I don't want the malt bread because it has um like dried fruit in it mm. and I'd always think like oh no I don't want things with dried fruit but we used to call them dead flies like if yeah. you have like a biscuit with raisins <laughs> in we call it a dead fly biscuit no one wants that you want chocolate not raisins right but as I got older I was just like where's this malt bread coming from and it was just amazing it's malty it's sweet it's not too sweet you have it with tea you can toast it you can put it with like Thick layer of butter on there as well Mm. and we just used to fight over the ends so the two ends that you cut off obviously the heel yes the heels, yeah and so we just fight over the heels always and so yeah that recipe had to go into the book
1: okay lottie we have to take a quick break because you're making my sweet tooth hurt in such a good way more with the great british bake-off fave lottie bedlow and her new book release Baking Imperfect right after this. back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We're all about sweet treats and the savory side too. Lottie Bedloe is here, the TV fan favorite from Great British Bake Off. And oh, we're talking about stuff that makes your sweet tooth hurt so good. You make, um, it's like a scone, right? You say that you can't differentiate really between um, whether it's a scone or a cake or otherwise but the ginger and coffee rock cakes mm. those yeah, look yeah, luscious
2: yeah those are really great actually and again i i made a joke i think about a couple of the recipes have a face for radio because they honestly they say nothing to look at but i tell you the flavor is so good and It's got that kind of again, as you say, it's like a scone, but it kind of has um, a harder texture. And I think originally rock cakes are supposed to be hard. That's why they're called rock cakes, right? Like they're supposed to have kind of more of a more of a crunch to them. And so these just it just works so well with the flavours. The flavours very warming, Mm. kind of comforting flavours.
1: Mm. I love all the crunchy bits. The caramelized exterior is everyone's favorite part. And, you know, we talk a lot about a depth of flavor on my show, and it's Mm -hmm. been long known that if you add a little bit of coffee or espresso powder Mm -hmm. to your chocolate brownies, they come alive with flavor, right? So I can imagine Mm -hmm. that coffee intensity with the ginger and this sweet caramelized cake, just being yeah. luscious with a cup of tea or coffee oh, or... so, it goes oh, so, so well good with
2: a cup of tea. It's, yeah. Okay. yeah, it's a good one.
1: I'm moving on to puddings now. And by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Lottie Bedlow <laughs> is here, the delightful and decadent baker that you know and love from the great British Bake Off, of course. Lottie, this is genius. So what made you make a chocolate waffle pudding... And tell us how. It's wobbly, right?
2: It is wobbly, yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, again, so there's a British classic bread and butter pudding. I yes. I don't know if you guys have that. Yeah?
1: We don't have it here, but I, we know it.
2: We know. Okay, great. So it's the same premise as that. Instead of using your white bread with butter, I thought, why don't you just use waffles instead? Smart. So we're taking waffles and then putting kind of chunks of, of whole chocolate in there, and then using a chocolate custard. Um, poured over the top and then baked. And so when that comes out, that custard gives it that really lovely wobble. And then when you slice into it, you just have the, the molten chocolate in there as um. well as the custard. So it's like an all-in-one dessert.
1: Yeah, but it's genius. You're using store-bought chocolate waffles. So you have a yeah. a quick bake here. And what mm-hmm. we would call in the States, in the Southern style, like a spoon bread, this is mm-hmm. your pudding cake, essentially, right? A, a mm-hmm. Spoon it yeah. out into bowls and... Finish yeah. it with vanilla bean ice cream. I love that all throughout the book you use vanilla paste. I have a tremendous passion for vanilla paste over vanilla extract.
2: Yeah, it, you just don't get the same flavor with you vanilla don't. extract. And I think you have to think about where you're spending your money, right? Because times are hard at the moment. They certainly are back home. Yes. Financially, you've got to think about where you're spending the money on ingredients. And I think mm-hmm. there are a few things that you can cut corners on. But I think when it comes to vanilla, you really want to get the vanilla bean paste and use it sparingly because the extract you need to use twice as much to get even a remotely similar flavor.
1: Yeah, you get such a better flavor from the paste and we can get it everywhere here. Um, It's now very accessible and available. And I think it's just beautiful. I put it in everything. I put it in my son's French toast in the morning just so I can smell the waft from the pan, right? Something beautiful (laughs) about it. Okay. um, Another genius inspiration. And And I love, by the way, that your personality flows through the cookbook because you say, and I quote, making decisions is hard, right? So if you should have a calzone or a lasagna, which do you choose? You call it... (laughs) calzagna. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, <exactly>. fabulous.
2: <laughs> so, um, it's exactly that. I wanted the two things. I just thought, you know, what goes into a, to a calzone, and I thought, and I love all these flavors, but what would be great is if I didn't have to choose on that Italian menu, and I could put the lasagna in there, including the pasta. Mm. Um, so, that's what I did, and I think that it works. Like, I think it, it really works. You get this, as you slice into it, you get the taste of a lasagna, but with that really um amazing kind of crust on the outside of a calzone so yeah mm. it's, a, it's again it's a mishmash of my favorite things.
1: yeah it's lovely and it's carb on carb which is why i like you even oh, more yeah. oh yes bring it on <laughs> uh will you be making millionaire shortbread with boozy ganache for the holidays
2: i absolutely will yeah. that is um a family a family favorite and uh, the, the more booze that goes into the ganache the better when it comes to this time of year um, yes just keep the family, you know, whether there's any, there's any, any uh, friction going on in the family. I just pass out this boozy ganache and we're away. Everyone's getting on. So, uh, yeah, there'll definitely be a portion of that.
1: Yeah, worth the time and the energy, you say. This is a layered shortbread of caramel and chocolate and a beautiful shortbread crust. And it's worth a million bucks, right? And it is a recipe yeah, yeah. on the Internet that has your name associated with it everywhere because everyone loves it. Yeah, Yeah, everyone loves it. It's
2: it's been a good one, yeah.
1: A a very good one. As has, and we're jumping sweet to savory, um, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the chili bread. I was thinking that for American Thanksgiving, this would be a brilliant thing to put on the table just to offset Mm -hmm. all of the rich flavors of our mashed potatoes and our sweet potatoes Mm -hmm. and all of that Mm -hmm. good stuff. You like spicy, do you not?
2: I do. Yes. To have a bit of a kick. Um, and the rest of the family are the same. So I, I'd say, like, give it a go at home. Give it a go. But, but make sure that you're kind of catering to your spice levels. If your family like it spicy, then chuck in a few more chilies. But it's a great pair and share bread, as you say, for, for the center of the table.
1: Yeah, beautiful uh, bread loaf uh, infused with chili flakes. And then you say to slather on it, uh, is it cheese
2: dream? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the, cheese, so the cheese dream is a recipe from my great grandmother, who unfortunately passed away before I had a chance to meet her. But I have uh-huh. her legacy in the form of her cookbook. So one of her favorite recipes to make was uh, cheese dream, which is effectively what you guys over here would call a grilled cheese. Um, but the cheddar is very important, but also using this chili bread as your bread means that you get this amazing cheesy chili kick if you make a so basically what I'm saying is make a grilled cheese with this chili bread and it'll be great
1: yeah it'll be awesome for sure (laughs) um tell us how much you hate Christmas pudding this will be the the English inspiration for all those that want to embrace British desserts
2: yeah so Christmas pudding I mean it's divisive people at home either love it or hate it and I have always hated it it is Dodgy, but not in a good way. It is just <laughs> full of um, these dead flies. We're talking about these raisins, dried full fruit, of kind of, right? Ugh, dried fruit. No, I can't be getting on board with it. And also, you have to make it in October when you make your Christmas cake. So, like, no one has time to be making a Christmas cake and a Christmas pudding. So, the recipe in there is literally called "I Hate Christmas Pudding." Yes, and it is um, a perfect quick and easy way of replacing what you need on the table in place of a Christmas pudding. So it's a dome shaped bean pudding full of kind of um, orangey citrusy flavors that you want at at Christmas time.
1: Yes. And the photograph of it, a flame, right? Ignited Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. a spectacular. Wow. It's the, it's the center of the book, a two page spread and this gorgeous cake with caramelized sugared, orange slices uh literally ignited I can't wait to take that to the table at the holidays that's a wow yeah
2: yeah it's great and that's what we always do with the Christmas pudding is you put you warm up a bit of brandy you pour it on top and then you set light to it at the table and that's a very traditional kind of thing Hmm. but you know I'm I'm always the one who wants to set light to it and then never eat it so this way (laughs) You get to set light to it, and it tastes good. So it, and the flame just kind of, if you put it brandy over, you can put any kind of high-alcohol liqueur over the top. It burns off the alcohol, obviously, when it's on fire, so there's no, yes. there's no need to worry about giving it to the kids. Uh, and then you have, yeah, it just helps with the caramelization and the flavor. Oh,
1: beautiful. I know from reading through your book, you're not a brandy lover. You're a whiskey girl.
2: Absolutely right. Yes, yes
1: so we'll toast you and your success Um, with a whiskey, uh, if we may, and celebrate (laughs) the cookbook release um, for which you should be very, very proud. Um, We love, yes, we love that you bake like nobody's watching, that you've made it really quite, extraordinary to bakers everywhere um, that you can bake imperfect and still be a great British bake-off fave. There are 80 recipes in Lottie Bedlow's first cookbook release, um, five stars, rave reviews, Amazon favorite. You have to read it. It's called Baking Imperfect by Lottie Bedlow. And it is all of her baking secrets, advice cold from her kitchen. Uh, there's even a gingerbread shed because Lottie says that it never looks like a house anyway. And isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> so true. I can't wait to make no-skill soda bread um, and share um, more of your sweet treats with your beautiful enthusiasm, Lottie, at my holiday table. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your time and your passion. I wish you continued success
2: thank you so so much for having me it's been
1: amazing thank you thank you thank you the book is baking imperfect she is lottie bedlow and she is great british bake-offs huge success don't miss it chef jamie gwen in your radio there's more fabulous food right after this don't go away Okay, prepare yourself because the feasting holidays are quickly approaching and we're about to get fresh. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. When you think tasty, tangy, tart, sweet, and delicious, you think Melissa's produce, providing quality produce to chefs in restaurants and grocery stores for almost 30 years now. I'm proud and grateful to have Melissas as a partner on this show since our inception 20 years ago and their products just keep getting sweeter. Robert Schuler is our resident produce guru and the director of all things fresh and delicious for Melissas and he is here to increase your fruit and veggie knowledge for the Thanksgiving feast. So Robert, welcome back. Um, first off, what is trending, rather, in the produce world as winter uh, is coming up and, and all those cold weather I love the cold weather fruits and veggies. so tell us.
0: Yes. So you know, we are in the, a new abundant supply during the fall,' heading into the winter time, and so many changes are happening in the produce department. Uh, and for the upcoming exciting Thanksgiving holiday with all these delectable, savory, and sweet fruits and vegetables that are available to us. This is a great time for variety apples, variety pears, Mm. citrus, persimmons, pomegranates, very fall flavors there in terms of fruit. Veggies, you've got exciting rainbow carrots potatoes of every single sort, variety, onions, uh, and a lot of root vegetables that are extremely popular for the uh, upcoming holiday.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's start with the fruit that you talked about, because that screams fall to me, right? Butterscotch pears. There is just something so brilliant about a butterscotch pear. I mean, if we could talk about its virtues for a moment, it has the greatest crunch. It's super juicy. It's certainly feeds a crowd. I mean, it's this big, beautiful cross between an apple and a pear, in my opinion. And my son Jagger, as you know, loves them and they never oxidize on a grazing board uh, they keep their crunch and texture in a pie or if you're making a crumble. Uh, they're brilliant.
0: Yes. You know what? looks these butterscotch pears are in the Asian pear family. Yes. They are in the shape of an apple. They're golden on the outside. They crisp like an apple, but the flavors all pear. It's the only pear... And very few apples even do this. Uh, They don't oxidize. So cutting them up and putting them on a charcuterie platter, cheese platter, such a great appetizer fruit that you can put on there uh, with your delectable selections of meats, cheeses, and veggies.
1: Yeah, love it. Also on my grazing board for Thanksgiving, which I think is just the ultimate starter, right? Everybody comes in hungry, but you don't want to overeat waiting for turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes, oh my. Um, The new guava paste from Melissa's is fabulous. I mean, the flavor is so beautifully pure. That will make a place or have a place on my grazing board as well, as will um, the dried dates and figs and then all the autumn grapes.
0: Yes. uh, Talking about the guava paste, um, we do. Pro- we try to make produce very simple. We're, Melissa's has always been known for uh, tropical guavas from around the world. Yes. And even grown domestically now, too, in California. Oh, interesting. Um, We just took it a step further and um, created their, their just simple rectangular squares. So when you get the guava paste, you can cut them into little, like, cubes, and just put them on a grazing board next to the crackers and some of the soft cheeses. The guava paste is such a trendy flavor, just like figs and dates and Mm. stuff. So It can just add an elegant touch to your uh, grazing board.
1: I do a lot more with it too, Robert. And I like your cube ideas, but I'll tend to slice it as well because it pairs with a slice of cheese that way. But there is something beautiful about that guava paste and cheese pairing. So I've been making savory turnovers using brie and guava paste. Simple three ingredients because you can use store-bought puff pastry. But the guava paste is so much more than just for a charcuterie board. I mean, to layer it into a leftover turkey sandwich after the Thanksgiving feast would be luscious too. Oh, that sounds so good. Um, Let's talk potatoes, please, um, because I am uh, officially in love with the new Baby Baker Russet Potatoes. That is the cutest Baby baked Potato ever, Robert.
0: The Baby Baker Russet Potato that we're referring to is, it is a Russet Potato a third the size of a regular Russet Potato. It's adorable. (laughs) Yes. So what you have is a very thin skin russet potato. It's actually edible if you want to make a a rustic mash. Um, And it it, it only takes a third the cooking time when you boil them, steam them, or bake them to get them to where you're ready to mash and um, put it all together.
1: Finding beautiful, unique, exceptional quality produce is a snap when it comes to Melissa's. And this holiday season, I can tell you the holidays are... Simply about being thankful in our home, and Robert, I am truly thank you thankful for the consummate support, uh, for what Melissa's has brought this show, in my ability to share what I love and my passion, and thank you for always elevating our recipes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm on a mission to bring you good eats, and I believe that food tells a story. So I hope that you'll tune in every week for more gastronomic inspiration. This brings us to our last bite, our last ounce or tidbit of uh, culinary conversation for the hour. It's always a three, four, or five ingredient recipe that I love to share uh, because I cook with good ingredients, but I'm a busy chef and a busy mom. And so, these dishes, these recipes, I feel always shine. Air fryer baked pears with maple mascarpone cream In five ingredients. That's right. Elegant yet rustic. These are really beautiful pears for the holiday season, for the winter season, for any time you can find pears in season. And that maple mascarpone cream is so decadent. I'm posting the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen so that you can make air fryer baked pears with maple mascarpone cream. So please become a friend or a fan, or both, and check it out. And I will meet you here next weekend when I guarantee there is lots more fabulous food in your radio. It brings me great joy to share my passion on the radio, and I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.